Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to South Beach Sessions. You know our next guest, Rob Lowe, has been on your television across four decades. He's made some really interesting television and movies with interesting people and i want to talk to him about them and just his entire path he has been famous since before the internet on teenage magazines kind of famous when things had to spread that way and that will scar a man and that will form a man and this is the imprinted rob Lowe. i found out this week that um the the, the picture of me in that damn hat is part of the official Roger Goodell NFL presentation to all teams, to all potential advertisers, everything. It's the I found out that it is among the most viral NFL moments on social media ever. And it's a total fluke, total accident. Um, I was up at the NFC Championship game, Packers, Niners, I want to say. And I was up to promote my my show, 911 Lone Star. And so they were going to cut to me in the stands and then say, and Rob Lowe's here from 911, like that, which you see all the time. And on the way up, they gave me a bunch of hats, but none of them, none of the hats the league gave me had either team. So I didn't have an option to choose a team. And then the actual sort of like NFC championship hat was kind of like busy and dull. And I'd never seen a, a, a hat like the one I wore other than on a referee. I was like, wait, this is a ref's hat. This is badass. So I put it on, and the next thing you know, like my phone started blowing up during the game. I was like, oh, it must have been on TV. Blowing up, blowing up, blowing up, blowing up. And like I knew something was up. <laughs> so, so that's it's so absurd. That's how it the, happened. The whole construct, right? They give you the tickets so they can promote the show during the game. You get great seats. You I want to go through all of the benefits of celebrity because you've had how many decades of this nonsense where, hey Rob, you want to go to a game and have the best seats? Just sit there and we'll advertise your TV show. You don't need free stuff. Here's this wonderful free thing any sports fan would want. It, you know that there's there's so much, and I, I look, I'm I'm super blessed. I mean, someone pointed out the other day that I've, uh, and by the way, you're a sports fan, so you can appreciate this. I, I don't mind people who talk about their achievements. I'm I'm very aspirational, and I, and I want to hear how people have done stuff. So, with that as the caveat, like Ty Cobb said, it ain't bragging if you've done it. Um, I I've had a show on on TV every year since 1999 uninterrupted and so I, I i know what that world is like and the 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 fun of it is great it's like you're saying you get you get access to things that build memories and that's for me what it's about is like i want to build memories i it's not just about going to a game which i love it, it turns out to be like a huge th- memory and you never know when that's going to happen and i try to build my life around tr- putting myself in interesting situations because then something might happen and a lot of times it does and um that's what i really like above and beyond free tickets to a game if you made me guess i would have guessed your streak was even longer than that but i guess i'm doing it with movies you've probably had something in front of america every year every year since when 1979 79 was my first big uh it was a TV series, and then and then I went on and, and did you know a lot of the movies. I still do movies from time to time, but as you know, the movie business is very very different, and sort of the best 
writing is is on TV now, but but um, in the eighties and nineties, I did mostly movies. You know, about last night and um, you know, um, uh, uh, the outsiders and all that stuff. I'll talk to you about the biography of that and the journey because I am interested in what was even happening before then and what it is that you've learned about fame. But you mentioned writing and two of the shows you've been on. You classify, I mean, maybe there are more than two, but two I associate with the best writing in the history of television or, or way up there on like, are, it doesn't get much better than the two shows you've been on and the dialogue you get to live with. Yeah. Um, West Wing, Aaron Sorkin, and and Parks and Recreation, um, you know, I mean, they're kind of like the yin and yang. I was, um, again, super lucky that, you know, one of the greatest dramas, I think, West Wing, and then one of the greatest comedies. And that's also cool that, I, that I've that i somehow found a way to to, to live in both <clears throat> both worlds because, um, you know, that, that not a lot of folks get, the, you know, you get pigeonholed and they're like, well, he's not really funny. Or he's a dramatic actor, and you know, so um, yeah, you're only as good as your writing. You know what I mean? You really, really are. It's, it's. I, I always thought that a, it, yeah. Look, if you have something good writing for you, you're gonna look a lot better than you than you actually do, do, are. Do all actors know that? Because you say it's not bragging if it's true. Hey, been on television for you know this entire century. Do, if I'm talking to people of your level of fame, are all of them going to say that? Or what percentage of them are going to be ego-soaked and be like, no, it's not It's not about the writing. It's about me. Um, I, I, all, I have a theory that the more successful you are, the more normal, actually, and in a, in a weird kind of way. Because, you know, um, the industry is like a self-cleaning oven. It'll just clean you out if you're a dick the minute you have a down period. And everybody's has a down period. Everybody, is, every, I don't care who it is, I can name you their down period. Particularly if you're going to have a long um, life in, in in entertainment. And so whenever I've met anybody I've admired who's like a titan to me, they've always been awesome. And the people you have a trouble with are the people maybe who are coming up and have another comeuppance and think they're better than they are or... Um, you know, those are the folks you gotta you gotta worry about. So I think if you had anybody on on the air who has a, a really good career, they would know the rules. And the rules are, you know, it, it's team it's team sport. It is unless you're doing one man shows, which I like to do, or you're writing a book, and you know, those are, you know, that's all you. But it's everything else we do is totally collaborative. Which did you enjoy the day-to-day more of, West Wing or Parks and Rec? And I know that's a difficult question, but just going into work and I, I'm guessing, I'm leading because I'm assuming that laughing with people and always breaking takes laughing would lead the way here. But I'm guessing that might have happened on West Wing plenty too. Well, they were totally different environments um, and Parks and Rec never felt like work, ever. It just felt like, like you said, wheeling on in. Everybody loved each other. No, nobody was competitive with anybody. Um, everybody was equally accomplished in their outside lives and, and what they brought into the show. And the show was, it, it was just heaven. It was heaven. I'm still close with everybody. Um, West Wing was a very different beast. It, the show, the, the results speak for itself, but the making of it was incredibly arduous. And... It, I think just it's a function of the personality. Super intense, um, very you know driven, um, you know, uh, and and so that was the work of the West Wing. Like from from the time the camera we read the script and the camera rolled and you were doing what you're there to do was heaven. Everything around it was 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 a, was a little more complicated because I think the mix of people it was kind of like um, you know sometimes you're in a band or you're on a team. And you're with people that you would never, in your normal life, you would never have a reason to come into each other's lives, but you're there for a great purpose. And then there are other shows you're on where, you know, you, those relationships go for years and years and years. Um, and they're both valid. They're just different beasts, but both those shows worked. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Is it though? Because yes, that makes the work fulfilling but the way that you're describing it, and i have no access to this and i'm not getting you i'm not interested in smearing sorkin but it seems that he's an obsessive compulsive perfectionist and i could see that getting in the way of just simple daily joy because everything has to be just so 
No, to the, to the contrary, Aaron Aaron was you know I love Aaron and he and I went and did a, a play together afterwards and we're we're great and and I listen I will and, and I'm not saying Aaron, Aaron has these flaws but I would I will suffer anything if somebody's a genius honestly like my wife always goes why are you so nice to that person all the time I'm like because they're a genius um so he he was great and and I it's funny you say that because I had um a, a a very famous actor come up to me. And he was going to maybe do, um, what's the show Aaron did afterwards about the news? News night? Oh, yeah, newsroom. Newsroom. And he was like, is it true that Aaron Sorkin makes you do every single word the way he wrote it? Every single word? I go, yes. But So, like, if I had an idea, like an idea or an ad lib or something, like, I wouldn't be able to do that? I go, no. And he was like, well, why would... So, if I want to bring my thing to it, what I'm thinking, there's no opportunity for that? I'm like, no. He's like, well, why would I ever want to do that? I said, because it's a different playbook. Like, not that, not to make everything a sports analogy, but like you're in a great system and you take joy. You've got to find the joy in running the routes and doing them to the best you can do. You're not out there doing a fucking scramble grill drill with Aaron Sorkin. There are plenty of, of shows where you have to do that out of self-preservation. The writing's not good and you got to bring what you have. There's plenty of room for that. I was elated to not have to bring out my toolbox and bring what I have to it. It was awesome. But, you know, everybody has different tastes. It's because he's writing music and he knows where the music. notes he knows where the notes hit because he's that extraordinary of a writer. And so you're saying yeah. this person's such a genius and I'm plenty good at what I do. Look, four decades I've been in your life every year in entertainment. But nope, I've been around enough of this to know no one writes like this. This is song. I will not change a word. Yeah, when it when it's great, who would ever want to? I mean, and and look, you get when you get to the legitimate theater and you're working with the great, you know, playwrights whose work has survived forever and ever. You, you don't want to change that. I mean, nobody wants to go do Death of a Salesman and go, well, what if I said? <laughs> it's just you know, a, it's it's such a cool thing to hear from you because you've just had so much access to so many different kinds of talented people. So when you say genius, the th the first names or faces that come swirling into your head over four decades look and sound like what? Who are they? Francis Ford Coppola, my first director in movies. Um, I still can watch, I still don't know which of the Godfathers is my favorite. And and I just recently, just for fun, made a list. So fun to take out your phone when you're bored and make a list of the most important movies of your life. Um, and I did that and I got to say it was so fun, but um, Godfather 1 and 2 are up there at 1 and 2 and Switch. And then Apocalypse Now is up in the top 10. That's three movies this man made. And and um, so uh, he would be one. Um, you know, jeez, uh, uh, Mike Myers on, on another end of the spectrum. Um, the Austin Powers movies and um, Wayne's World uh, is another one. <clears throat> you know, uh, Steven Soderbergh uh, certainly is one behind the candelabra. Um, it was a really special movie to me that I got to do with him. Um, I mean, and I'm going to start forgetting. I mean, and then I've had, you know, um, moments with, you know, I did a, a, a small thing with Bob Zemeckis. I've, I've shadowed Steven Spielberg for a day on a set. I haven't worked with him yet. Um, so, there, you know, you run into them, whether you work with them properly or whether you get to spend time with them in other situations. Um you know, and, and frankly, on and this is not a shameless plug, on my podcast, um, you know, I've had some people who I consider to be geniuses on the show, and that is heaven for me to just, I had Ron Howard on last week, and that man has directed, you know, Apollo 13, um, A Beautiful Mind, Richie Cunningham, on, and you get it, like, I'm not going to ask Ron Howard the questions I'm going to be able to ask him on a podcast when I see him at the Golden Globes. You know what I'm saying? But like, once you have somebody, you know this, once you have somebody in the chair, it's on. It's awesome. Well, I want to ask you about your curiosities because literally with Rob Lowe, your guest lists have been really strong. Patton Oswalt and Jennifer Aniston. And these are people who are stimulating your curiosities. Stamos, you and him must have had a stare off. Like you guys are, <laughs> you, oh no, right, Mike. These have got to be the guys, the two guys in America who simply don't age, the new Dick Clarks. Like he and Stamos must stare at each other and just be like, what's your moisturizer? What's your secret? And it's, it's the spot. 
Spider-Man meme. There isn't a third one, right? You guys are the two first ballot Hall of Famers, human beings who don't age. <laughs> Jared Leto and Pharrell. Jared Leto and Pharrell. Um, the, yeah, uh, st- we both suffer from stage four jawline, and turns out it's incurable. Um, he, <laughs> Johnny was great. It was it was so fun, and and uh, I always suspected that um, that his character in Full House had ripped off my St. Elmo's Fire hairstyle, which, by the way, I don't know why anybody would want to rip off. Oh, you, uh, were, it, you were smoldering beefcake. What are you talking about? Come dude, on. Th- th- come there was on. a lot Lo, of hair mousse. Wait a minute. Low, come on. Look. There was a lot of mousse. A lot come of hair on. mousse, bro. Come on. Knock it off, Low. You became famous because you were beautiful. Like, that's... I don't. You may have been also a talented actor, but you were steaming sex pot on screen. Like that... And how old were you? You weren't ready for any of that. No. I was... Well, I was, I, 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 my first series, I was 15 and then Outsiders really was the, the, the big moment. And I was, uh, I got that on my 18th birthday. So you didn't have a childhood really or teenage years, right? It, once that happens, you are no longer, or you're a kid and then there are temptations everywhere, but your life immediately gets rocket shipped into the future, right? Like what, was there anything to prepare you for any of that? Uh, no, no, you can't ever get prepared. I'm and and I'm always like, um, what's the word? Um, I'm always keeping my eye out for whoever is in that um, um, space in the consciousness. And and you know, every whatever, every three or four years, it's somebody new, you know. Um, and there aren't that many people that that really get to experience it in that way. And, and you can't prepare for it. You know, it's like, it just is, it's weird and it's wonderful and you you feel lucky to be there and then you feel confused why you're there. And, you know, um, particularly if you're somebody like me and I, I didn't do it to be famous. I didn't, wasn't even r- really aware you could be famous. I know that sounds insane. Obviously I knew people could be famous, but it wasn't like today. There was no, there wasn't even a People magazine when I started. There's no MTV. There was no... Stars are just like us. It was none of it. No social media. It was the work. It was the work, period. And if you wanted to see a star, you had to watch the Oscars. You didn't get to see him with carrying a Starbucks and a yoga mat, walking out of the Malibu Country Mart every week on TMZ. That didn't exist. So the notion of what fame was was really, really super different then. Do, 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 do. A lot has changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Man, we was just watching Celtics versus Nuggets last night, and the catalyst to the party, the vibe, the vibe changer, the mood increaser, was the Miller Lite cooler in the middle of the living room. Salute to Miller Lite, man. And when you're out having a great time, oh my goodness, you want to reach for a beer that's reliable, and I cannot name, think of, or even ponder a more reliable beer than Miller Lite. Can you dig it? Times change, but you can always enjoy the great taste of Miller Lite. Hmm. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Yiddick. And how did your life change immediately? What were you at 14 that you were no longer at 15? Oh, well, I remember that easy. I mean... You know, I had come to Southern California from Ohio. I grew up in, in Dayton and, and moved to um, sort of Malibu, Santa Monica when I was like, you know, whatever, 13, 14, 15 in that area. And, you know, in, in that culture of what you what a teenager was in Dayton, Ohio was totally different than what it meant in Malibu. And I showed up in my tough skin jeans, and my Pittsburgh Steeler T-shirt. And everybody in Malibu was in their OP shorts and their hang ten shirts, and I didn't surf, and you know I wanted to play football in the street, and they were like, "What's wrong with you?" And none of the girls were interested in me because I didn't surf, and you know I was I was very much, and nobody no, kids weren't actors then; they really weren't, and I wanted to act, and they thought that was, um, how should I say this euphemistically, not the most masculine. That's putting it euphemistically and my extremely mildly polite for the so, day polite for the day you're you're soft calling you all and, sorts and, of names because you're not fitting in well and i'm pretty 
I mean, let's face it. I look back at pictures of myself. I look like Brooke Shields. <laughs> disturbing. <laughs> Profoundly disturbing. <laughs> so, so anyway, they were like um, not having any of it. And then overnight, and then so none of the cool kids wanted anything to do with me. I had friends, but like, you know how in, in every high school there's the cool, whether they actually are or not, you think they are, right? And whether you have your own friends or not, and whether you're happy or not, you kind of wonder some more than others, what it would be like to be with the cool crowd. I never was. And then overnight, when I, when I you know, started working, you know, and in, in having success as an actor overnight, that all changed. And that's a weird scene because you go, wait, I'm exactly the same guy as I was. What's changed? It's like the great song, New Kid in Town, The Eagles. Even your old friends treat you like you're someone new. And that's and it's what it is. A new kid in town. I was the new kid in town. You, well, you were suddenly popular, correct? And then all of a sudden, you're popular everywhere. There's nowhere you're not popular, correct? And this lasts for years. Yeah, and 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 that's today. It's it's much easier to do that because um, because the internet and everything that we have now is around the world. But in those days, if just because you were famous in one country, really famous, didn't mean you were famous in other countries. No, but you were getting fam famous, the teenage magazine, uh, posters on walls, boy bands kind of famous. That yes. is one of the ways that that would spread. And so now you are, yep. and, and how long is this period of just sort of you wandering the earth, learning about fame, celebrity, all of it coming very fast, very quickly? It's, it's so funny because, uh, so 15, I do the show. It's a terrible show. It doesn't work, but I'm on network television, get famous, do all the... And then, and then I don't work. I literally can't get a job. I'm 16, 16, 17, can not get arrested. And I'm like, it's over. I'm a one-hit wonder. It was great. I'm going to be a marine biologist. And, um, you know, getting ready to follow that life. And there was um, a great casting director who said, don't give up until you're 18, because when you're 18, you can work different hours. It's the labor laws that are preventing you from being hired. I was like, oh, that's really nice of you to say, but I don't believe it. And I'll be damned if on my 18th birthday, I didn't get my first starring role on The Outsiders. And then that was the end of marine biology. I have found you very introspective the last time or one of the last times we talked to you it was about all the learning you've done in your books. So as you look back now at this age, learning what you've learned about fame and all of it, when you mentioned Brooke Shields and I think you and her at the same time being sex objects before anyone was ready was an interesting way to look at what happened to Brooke Shields, objectified at a totally unreasonable age. And the same thing was happening for you, but yeah. it was kind of a great thing for you until it wasn't a great thing. Well, the, you you mentioned the word objectified. And, you know, I have, not to put too fine a point on it, but there was a period in my life where I did a lot of work, had to do a lot of work around that concept because I, I realized why all of it was so uncomfortable and all of it, you know, leads many people to question what they're doing and drugs and alcohol and acting out and whatever. And it's the objectification. That's what it is. You're, you're treated like an object. And I can, you know, you can look at the Justin Bieber, um, almost every interview he's ever given. And that theme is overt. And you know, it's the good news and the bad news. The, like, you know, you want to be successful. You want people to, to, to know you but they don't know you. They know the work. And what's worse sometimes is when they don't even know the work. They just know the picture in the magazine. And that's a lot of times as a, as a young person getting famous, why it's so tough. Like nobody comes up to, to JB and goes, hey, tell me about that chord progression that you wrote. And they don't do, they go, ah! And he's like, fuck, really? Really? It's like, Really? And, and that becomes, it's almost like you're living in an alternative universe. And it, it's hard to, to come to terms with. And what you eventually learn is it has nothing to do with you. Zero. And they, they're not screaming for you. They're not. They're not. It, it, you occupy a moment in time in the development of the other person where they are going to focus that energy on something. And it happens to be you because you're there at that moment. And in another 
few years, it's going to be somebody else and then somebody else and starts with Elvis and goes all the way to people we've never even heard about. And it has very little to do with them, literally, until that moment in their lives passes and then it becomes hopefully about the work. It's funny that you should say that because when you mentioned three or four years we cycle through these people, I was thinking immediately Justin Bieber, and then it made me think, oh, every time one of these appears, you're connecting with it in a visceral way that goes back to being what whatever the age is. Yep. Oh, for sure. 100%. And, and it, it never, and it's funny, the reaction never changes. You look at the footage of people screaming and crying for the, for the, the Beatles. Look, when you when, when you walk out of your door, when you walk wherever, and somebody looks at you and starts crying, you go, "Is that? Gee, I'm not sure that they saw the my favorite episode of a new kind of family, my first sitcom." <laughs> you know, that's about that isn't about you. Well, there's but something when, else but, going but on. When did you learn that though? Because that's not something you're, you're. There's no way you knew that early. No, I didn't. Oh, for sure, I didn't. Are you kidding me? And 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 it was even worse. Not only did I not know that. But I knew enough to know something wasn't right. And so you go, oh, it's me. Something's not right with me. Look, it took um, getting sober. You know, I've been sober now like 30, 30, 31 years? 31 years. And in that process, you know, you have to start to learn about yourself if you want to stay sober. There's getting there's getting sober and then there's staying sober. And they're the kind of two the, different The things. deconstructions of all the patterns that make the grid that is Rob Lowe that yeah. got contaminated at 15 because the life you were living is not in any way human. Right. And and also, listen, it's and, and I would never, and, and, and it's never just that. Never. It's never just, I got famous and I got rich and it fucked me up. It's it real, it's it's not that. And I know that you weren't implying that, but I just I want to make that clear because I always when I look, you obviously nobody's more aware of this type of stuff than me. But when when I hear people say that, I'm like, oh please. So Oh, but I can imagine how that turns into I'm looking at it from what I imagine was your prism, which is if I can't be happy with this thing that everybody wants that represents my dreams, well then the problem must be me. Hey, let well, me go yes. let me go medicate this. Let me go one hundred percent. One hundred percent. I um and and there's a in the so I've heard in, in recovery someone who's in one of the great, the greatest bands of all time of literally, if, like if you name the biggest band of all time, you're going to name this band. And he was like, all I wanted to do was, you know, be a drummer in a band in my shitty little town that I grew up in. And I thought if I could make a living, um, playing the drums, uh, it would fix me. And I ended up in the biggest band in the world that it didn't fix me. And that's what it is. We always think it's going to be something other than us. And then when everything, you know, when your dreams come true, that's when, that's when she gets real. How far into therapy and rehab and breakthrough did you have to, be, or how far into therapy and rehab did you have to go before you found some breakthroughs and it wasn't just this crawling through sewage suffering? Well, I was, I was lucky that when I was done um, with drinking and drugs and all that stuff, when, when I wanted, I was done when I was done. Like that, that's the number one thing is like, you have to be ready. And I was so ready. I just didn't know really how to stop. And I was kind of like, you know, the cliched ax murderer, stop me before I kill again. <laughs> and um, so I was ready and that's great. And if they'd have told me to go stand in the corner on my head to be sober, I would have done it without questioning. And that was a real leg up. And I think that's the key to why I've been able to, you know, have the, the life post all of it that I have because I was done. A lot of people aren't. And you, you can't get sober for your wife or your friends or your job or your, or your court date or any of it. None of it. None of it will, will work. You have, you have to be like, I am so done. That's number one. It's not negotiable. So um, I had the biggest breakthrough there was right away. And then, and then the other stuff starts coming up. The longer you're you're in recovery, you know, the, the more you're present in your own life, the more authentic you, you know, you are, um, you start seeing stuff and, and to the extent you deal with it is to the extent of your happiness and productiveness as you go forward. Broad question, but what, 
what are some of the things that you learned about yourself that were most illuminating to you and that you could find forgiveness in them because you're like, oh, I was looking at that all wrong. I was judging myself and this wasn't my fault. I was blaming myself. Well, I mean, this could sound stupid, but it was a big thing to me. Um, I learned that um, I'm an introvert that masquerades as an extrovert. Like I thought that I love people and love being out and love, I, it's not true. I, I, I like my alone time. I like significant one-on-one -on -one time with people and I cannot stand small talk. Like it, it makes me want to blow my brains out. And when you think about it, you're out at a restaurant, you're out at a bar, you're out at a club. What are you doing with most people? Small talk. What did I do when I was out at a bar, about a restaurant? I would drink. Hmm, I wonder why. And so it's li little things like that are, are like, was like, duh. it's like revolutionary, but it's it makes perfect sense when you think about it. But listen, I, I never spend any time thinking about that kind of stuff until I needed to. And what made you need to? Because you say you were done. How did you arrive at done? Um, I... Gosh, well, part of it was I had met the woman who later became my wife, and we've we, we now been married 30 years, Cheryl. And I, I knew that if I couldn't make it work with her, then I really couldn't make it work with anybody. And one of my favorite movies is Shampoo, Warren Beatty, Shampoo. If you haven't seen it, see it. Really dated, but also great. And my worry was that I was going to end up like my hero, Warren Beatty, in my life. I was going to end up like that character at Shampoo at the top of Mulholland um, and alone. And and that's, I could, they talk about moments of clarity and I knew if I didn't change my life, that was going to be me. I was going to be one of those perennial Hollywood playboy bachelors with my, you know, you know, walking my, you know, French bulldog down Melrose, you know, at, 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 50 and I didn't want to be that guy that's that's not who I wanted to be that's interesting because I imagine a lot of people would say oh playboy that sounds like fun but the Warren Beatty you were talking about a Warren Beatty character and I was hearing just Warren Beatty who late dated every starlet I don't know what his real life was well, obviously and I'm he did and, and there's a little bit of that too because he was my hero so I mean I did design my life after my heroes Jack Nicholson lived on Mulholland I bought a house in Mulholland Jack Nicholson had Laker floor seats. I had Laker floor seats. Warren Beatty cut a swath through Hollywood. I cut a swath through Hollywood. I mean, I literally did what my heroes were doing. Those were the biggest guys in the world, the most talented guys in the world. And I was like, if it's good enough for them, it sure the fuck is good enough for me. And then you go, mm, maybe not. And then you found real love. And then that real love, you cherish it so that it teaches you how to love yourself better. Yeah, I, I found I found the right the right partner, right woman. Um, people say, what's the key to a successful long-term marriage? And, and I'm reminded of the Alfred Hitchcock quote when they asked him, what's the key to a successful movie? So the answer is the same. It's the casting. <laughs> you, <laughs> it's who you put in it. You have learned what about fame? It's again, it's a broad question, but you, you're more qualified to answer it than just about anybody because you've lived in it an absurd amount of time, Rob. Like you're, you're talking about your heroes. You're talking about, uh, that you have arrived at the, the cream of the industry. You conquered television and you work with genius. You conquered movies. You've done all the things that you wanted to do. What have you learned about fame? Well, it's pretty, very nice of you to say, um, uh, I've learned a lot. I mean, it depends. I, I, there's, you know, a lot. I mean, uh, it comes, it goes, the levels. I mean, even with, in my life, I can tell when there are levels where I'm like high on the radar and then other times where I'm I'm not. Um, I actually weirdly did these direct TV commercials a few years ago, which I thought were really super funny where I'd play two versions of myself and I'd be like super crazy Harry Rob Lowe and, you know, all these crazy. And, and when those were out, I was more famous than I'd ever been in my life. Like I like literally forget all the other things I'd done. Those things I felt like, like a scene from the fugitive where the wanted man is walking down the street and everybody's looking up from their paper and going, that's him. That's what it, it was a 
totally different level of fame. Um, so there's, there's, and then, and you know, then I've done things where, you know, you get nominated for every award imaginable and then you go back to Ohio to visit your dad. They've never even heard of the project. Never even heard of it. So there's all, today more than ever, there's silos of fame. And what's real, becoming rarer and rarer and rarer along with the silofication, I just coined a bad term. Um, we all can watch whatever interests us. And they're in these little silos. If you like, the new thing is like Korean created um, TV shows. Like that's the new rage, this the squid thing, whatever the hell it's called, squid right? Squid Games. Squid Games is the biggest thing in the world right now. It's just singular, Squid Game. Squid Game. See, I haven't seen it yet, but everybody's, but like everybody in my life's talking about, everybody who's in show business and who's looking out for the next best thing. I'm not so sure if anyone, when I go back to Ohio, is going to be watching that or heard of it or be into it. So the broad fame written broadly is there is rarer and rarer and rarer. Where everybody knows about it. That's super rare now. Literally with Rob Lowe is one of the podcasts. Another one, Parks and Recollection. If you like all the work with Mike Schur, he's a friend of our show. We love having him in our universe, and this is as good a television as has been done, right? Like Rob Lowe, when oh. Rob Lowe looks at television throughout time, what are the shows that you point to? And, hey, you did it. I'm imagining that you've got two in whatever your top five looks like. I um, And I say this with the taking myself out of it. Let's say I was never on the West Wing and I was never on Parks and Recreation. Those absolutely not only would be on my top 10, top five, but they would for sure be my favorite shows in the genre. Now there's political shows everywhere. You've got House of Cards, you've got Veep, you've got all of these shows. That never happened before West Wing. And Parks and Rec is, is a political show. They're both political shows. And... I, I love that I had a little piece in, in, in both of them. Um, yeah, it was, I look back, can you believe that we used to have community, parks and recreation, 30, the office and 30 rock was the lineup. That's insane. <laughs> well, that's, and that's the glory days of network television right there, right? All, you've seen the entire industry get turned upside down after that. Yep. I did a show called The Grinder that I love. And if anybody out there has any interest and in, it's been stipulated how much I love Parks and Recreation, I think The Grinder is the funniest thing I've ever been a part of. And it had the misfortune of coming right at the beginning of streaming. And it really should have been on a streamer. And if it had been, it would be going today. Um, but we did get 22 episodes out of it on Fox. And it's my favorite. It's probably my, well, not even probably. It's my favorite comedy I've ever been a part of it but um, it was uh, it, it should have been on a streamer because streaming streaming has changed everything for the better for the worse um, I I think it's a push I think it's a push and by the way I'm I'm a big believer that that all change is at a minimum a push even if you think it it's awful and there's a lot in the world that's awful I'm I'm a believer that that there are things at play that we may not even see in our lifetimes that that will be a direct result of whatever is happening now and it's great. That's just the way I look at it. Um but I'm a huge optimist half full guy, a glass half full guy, but um look streaming has brought us there's more work than I mean literally you can't hire anybody to do anything in show business. Everybody is working everybody and there's opportunity and there's there's interesting stuff being going on um the the only downside is i think that network television hasn't figured out what their new place is and it's one of the reasons why i'm really proud of um 911 lone star because that's what network television should be doing that's what that's where it lives it should be doing high-end super big budget big spectacle good writing good acting, popcorn, entertainment. That's what it should be doing. What do you regard as the greatest period uh, where you did the greatest learning? Um, boy, I've had, I've had cycles. 
right? So getting sober, we've talked about that. That mean that's probably the most intense. It's like getting an, you know, an IV of of learning pumped into your body. But then, you know, I've also gone through phases in my life where, you know, 15 years in just sobriety and where, you know, maybe my kids are now leaving the house and I'm like trying to figure out what is that, what's it like to be an empty nester and what does that mean with mortality and, you know, what are my wife and I going to do about it? And, and then, you know, spend a ton of time working that through. I'm a big believer in, um, in not analysis like I'm in a Woody Allen movie or anything like that, but but I I've I've had some iteration of therapy in present in my life for the last thirty years, and um, sometimes I feel like I, I I'm getting a lot from it. Sometimes I feel like I'm getting nothing. This, um, I'll go f- maybe six months without it, never more than that, and and I th- and I think that's been super helpful for me. So it's kind of a continual thing with ebbs and flows. What is the backstory? Is there a good backstory to how you go about buying Miramax? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, again, that's uh, look. I think that I have a um, a predilection for for having fun stuff happen to me, or inserting myself, or being whatever into interesting people, interesting places, interesting times. And part of it is because I seek it out. I actively seek it out. But that's a perfect example of meeting someone who, you know, we started talking that led to starting a fund, which led to someone calling us and saying, I'm trying to buy Miramax. Can you guys come in and help close the deal? And it's it's one thing leading to another. And um, and and you get to be a center of something that I never thought that I, I would be in, which was, you know, a ringside seat at at, at buying a, a company like that um, from the Walt Disney Company, um, and learned a ton. And uh, you know, it's it's one of the crazy chapters in my life. What can you tell us about it? Well, um, I learned. Here's the one thing I learned is you know um, when the and, and and to be totally clear, I was like a consultant. You know, I mean, the deal I don't think would have happened without me, but, but you know, it wasn't my money and, you know, I was helping to pave the way. This is a, a group of people that really didn't know their way around Hollywood at all. And um, what I learned is that just the value of a library because when um, the folks that I was teamed up with bought it, we ended up selling it, I think, at a huge profit. We never made one movie. And what we did was monetize the uh, library and we were one of the first people to make a, a, a big deal with then a then brand newish company called Netflix. And um, I learned about timing. Now that would be the first thing you would do when 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 our management group did it. People were like, "What really? Well, so what does that look like? And why? What are the economics of it?" And rah rah rah. And you know, I learned about being nimble and opportunities and um, that. Making movies is usually a loss leader. Not, I'm almost always, but having a library is huge. And it's and it's a catch-22. The only way that you get a library is by making movies. But when you make movies, you lose money most of the time. But with a library, you're likely to make money. It's a really interesting um, truism of the business. Well, when I read that you were selling, it was reported that you were selling your $47 million home, I didn't understand. That's a, that's a big property and yeah. I didn't understand your entrepreneurial spirit and you're just saying it's sort of right time right place uh, access fame yeah. puts you in some spots where if you have a little bit of money you can make a lot of money yeah 100% I mean I think because it also allows you the freedom as look I like to work so I'll, I'll always work but to not work if I don't want to work and you know my my wife and I um, particularly my wife is very very good at, at finding extraordinary properties and maxing them out. And um, we've we've done it, broken real estate records twice in Montecito. Uh, every time we've sold a home, it's broken a record. And the kids were out of the, out of the house. It was way too much house for us. So we sold it. And now we're doing the same thing um, on, a, on another uh, property up here. And I, and, I, and I love doing it. I love building homes for myself that one day, you know, I'll, it, it'll be my biggest asset and I'll do it again. And it's super fun. I'm not like, crazy lunatic like my good buddy Ellen DeGeneres who literally is like this is the last house I'll ever own 
Two weeks later, I'm selling this house. <laughs> Tell people about your podcast projects because you like really connecting with people and you're not uh, you're not wanting to do this superficially. You're not wanting to do it with small talk. I've got some questions about Andrew Luck. I think you broke that story. didn't uh, Mike, didn't Rob Lowe break the story of Andrew Luck was retiring or something that we were confused no, no, by? No, it was Peyton. Okay. I, Famed I, Colts insider, Rob I Lowe. I don't know why Rob Lowe was in the middle of that, but he was somehow in the middle of that. But before we get to because that- Because I get, because I told you I put myself in the middle of shit, man. I like to be in the in the, in the the mix, as the so, kids would say. So did Andrew Luck, he, he gave you that information? Andrew Luck, you knew he was going to retire before the rest of us. It wasn't so much Andrew Luck. It was really where the retirement thing started was with, was with Peyton. And uh, my insiders had- Peyton's going to kill me. He just mercilessly roasts me still to this day because he only had uh, another Super Bowl left in him when I said, but here's the thing. It wasn't with the Colts. In my defense, whether he retires or whether he goes to another team, what the hell does it matter if you're a Colts fan? He never played another game as a Colt. That's really what I was saying. Newsbreaker, and you were right, and I'm sorry I made it Andrew Luck. I'm sorry I forgot the details. And yeah. made it Andrew Luck instead of Peyton Manning. Such a memorable story. Your foray into being Chris Mortensen. Tell me about <laughs> tell me about the podcast, though. What are you trying to do with both of them? Well, I love the long form interviews. I like I love being on both sides of the mic. I'm having a blast today with you. I love doing the same. Um, you know, as you know, a podcast is the only way to do this. You know, there was a time when you could do it on television, but now you know you two seconds and then they want you to play pin the tail on the donkey you know and get in a go-kart and ride around you know that nobody's interested in hearing anybody actually talk on any of those shows anymore so it's the only place you can do it and i love like i when i had matthew mcconaughey on the show it was like because i i kind of either really know these people or at least have been around them enough i can ask them stuff no one else is going to even know to ask them and it's so fun like when matthew and mcconaughey started talking about our 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 mutual audition for titanic like i've never heard him talk about that and so i want i want these people that everybody knows and everybody has an opinion on to come on my show and we're going to not talk about the stuff they've talked about a billion times over. And moreover, we're going to talk about something that people had no idea happened. That's the beauty of, of, of doing literally and why I love it. And then on Parks and Recollection, which just, just started, it's, we're only in our third episode. It's, I've learned so much about what it takes to create a successful comedy it's unbelievable because my partner in the podcast is Alan Yang, who wrote on every episode of Parks and then went on to create Master of None with Aziz Azari. And so he hears what it was like from an actor's standpoint every week. And I hear what it's like from a writer's standpoint every week. And we're both learning about a show that we both helped make. So it's a really, it's a really cool thing. And I'm, lo I'm loving my new kind of life as in podcasting. It was you and McConaughey going after Leo's role. What were you going to be in Titanic? All of you. No, no, he was going to be Leo's role. And, and by the way, he he's really funny in the interview. He, and Matthew's a genius. He's exactly who you think he is. That's that's the other thing. You're talking about fame. Just to go back. I like people who deliver on who you think they are. I think that's what I like. I think he's arrested for playing nude bongos in Austin. I don't know. I, like I don't. I I think he's fun like that, bohemian like that. In comfortable. his own home, that was bullshit. They did well, that to com him. Comfortable with his own nudity. Like I don't. I don't know. All you those things. He's all those things. I think it's he's all those things. And you know, and he's a he's a he's a he's a searcher. And you know, um, but like I. So he 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 was going to be um, Leo, and he thought there's a, he tells a great story about how he thought he had it. He thought he nailed it. <laughs> he thought he had it. it was end up being Leo, and I was going to be the um, the bad guy, the Billy the Billy Zane part. Yes, and, I have a child. And, yes, and and I did not get that. And there's a perfect example of I was super bummed because I knew that movie was going to be huge, and I'm a huge James Cameron fan. And, um, and Jim actually, I think, wanted me for the part. And the studio wanted Billy 
and Jim had won every battle. And I feel like he kind of, I was like the gimme. He could let them feel good about having their stake in the movie. (laughs) Do you have a heartbreaking story along those fronts where there was just something above all else that you wanted to really be doing and it's the one that hurt the most because it got away or you made another choice or because a lot of actors never, they don't go back and do that. They say my path wouldn't be the same if, if that. Oh, I I agree. Oh, listen, 100%. I I'm, I'm that way. I have, I have zero, zero professional regrets. And and I turned down Grey's Anatomy, so that's a that's a big uh, a big difference in the bank account. Um, but and the show I turned it down for was a disaster, lasted about two seconds. I won't even. All right, it's called Doctor Vegas. I mentioned it. There you go. <laughs> um, I was like, I don't want to be the doctor in Grey's Anatomy. I, I want to be, be the doctor in yes. Vegas. You learn nothing in therapy. You learn nothing in, yes. in rehab. You wanted to still be secretly <laughs> Dr. Vegas instead of the doctor in Grey's Anatomy. That's right. Um, but but if I don't do that, then I don't do Brothers and Sisters, which I loved with Sally Field and Callista Flockhart. Um, and, I, and I don't do Parks and Rec. I wouldn't have been available for any of it or The Grinder. So- you know, it is what it is. It all, what it, it, it's like in baseball, they say, you know, the good teams are going to win 60. They're going to lose 60. It's what you do with the other 60 that matters. It, it's sort of, it sort of all works out at the end. Rob, it's good catching up with you. Thank you. It's always nice talking to you. Thank you. You and you too. I, I love our talks. We need to do more of it. I really appreciate you having me on. Our thanks to Rob Lowe for spending that much time with us. He wants you to listen to his podcast. We do too. It is called Literally. He says that a lot. You may have noticed that. Literally. I, I didn't say it correctly. He says it literally. Literally is the name of the podcast. I'm still not doing it right. Literally with Rob Lowe. With Rob Lowe. Check that out. Also, we encourage you to please support the properties around here. Levitard and Friends Network, Podcast Network. You've got Mystery Crate. You've got Stupidity. And you've got this South Beach Sessions. Make sure that you're supporting this stuff so we could keep it afloat for you. And be the first to see Jake Tapper joining us next week. I forgot about that. A lot has changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Man, we was just watching Celtics versus Nuggets last night, and the catalyst to the party, the vibe, the vibe changer, the mood increaser, was the Miller Lite cooler in the middle of the living room. Salute the Miller Lite, man. And when you're out having a great time, oh my goodness, you want to reach for a beer that's reliable. And I cannot name, think of, or even ponder a more reliable beer than Miller Lite. Can you dig it? Times change, but you can always enjoy the great taste of Miller Lite. Hmm. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Yiddick!